Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Have you wondered about the insights that can come from running one of the world's largest lightning nodes? So for this episode, I chat with Zero Fee Routing, the pseudonymous lightning node runner who was running one of the largest lightning nodes on the network. We chatted a little bit about his lessons learned from his experience running the node, why he's shutting it down and why he might potentially come back in the future. Now, a quick message to make sure that you're aware of PacificBitcoin.com. This is a Bitcoin conference organized by Swan Bitcoin. This may be one of the last episodes you listen to before the conference is on. It's on November 10th and 11th in LA, California, in Santa Monica. It's going to be an awesome experience. There are so many Bitcoiners coming along, people like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Pierre Richard, Wolf von Lair, Jeff Booth, Greg Foss, all kinds of people. It's going to be an amazing experience, and I'm going to be one of the hosts. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you there. I'll be moderating some panels also. So if you're interested to come, I really recommend you just come along, bring some friends along. It's a great opportunity to meet some Bitcoiners, network with people, as well as learn about Bitcoin. It's over at PacificBitcoin.com. Use code Lavera for a discount. Now, if you're looking for a Bitcoin and Liquid wallet, Green is Blockstream's industry-leading Bitcoin and Liquid wallet. Gain access to powerful features such as multi-signature security, full node verification, and Tor support. So with Blockstream Green, you can use the multi-signature shield where you hold one key on your device and the other key is held on Blockstream's servers. So you can protect your wallet with two-factor authentication. Now, you can also have time locks or a third key backup to ensure that you always retain full ownership of your funds. Blockstream Green is integrated with hardware wallets such as Blockstream Jade, Ledger, and Trezor. So you can get the best of both worlds having cold storage alongside the full suite of features that Blockstream Green has. With Blockstream Green, you get a nice balance between convenience, security, and control. It's available for iOS, Android, or desktop. So go get it over at blockstream.com green. And now onto the show with Zero Fee Routing. Zero Fee Routing, welcome back to the show. <laughs> nice being here again. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so we're here to do a little bit of a, a post-mortem on uh, the zero-fee routing project. And who knows, maybe someday you'll restart this back up. But uh, I thought this would be an interesting show for listeners who wanted some insight into what it was like for you uh, running the zero-fee routing node. So do you want to just start off with why you've made this decision to close down? Yeah, uh, for me, it was uh, always... Uh a factor of uh, how, how much time I have to to spend towards the node. I uh, was planning to move the node over to a more professional setting, but those plans didn't pan out in time. And since I'm expecting uh, my second child uh, pretty soonish, and I don't have enough time to basically harden the node uh, appropriately, uh, I decided to just shut it down for the time being, see uh, if I can start it back up at a later time when I have enough metal and, and, and actual time capacity to, to, to do it correctly. Yeah. And of course, congrats on the, the second child coming soon. So uh, family is very important. So uh, I don't think anyone's really faulting you there. I think what might be interesting for listeners and just people who are maybe interested observers of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, there might be some people who say, oh, look, this guy was running one of the big routing nodes and even he couldn't do it. So what thought on that idea? Like, is this, do you think there's some kind of infeasibility to do this or do you believe that it will only that the bar will rise and it will be only let's call it semi-professional or professional people who can 
do this kind of business in the future? Yeah, that, that totally depends on how things will develop right now. Um, for me, it was never a charity, although I've been perceived that way. So for me, it was always, uh, I was looking to make a return. I just tried a different approach. Instead of charging for routing, I charged for opening channels to others. Um, that was actually fairly profitable. I made about two-ish percent uh uh, APY, uh, so so like a two percent uh, return on, on on my invested capital, which is okay, I guess. I, I there there is no market for lending out uh, Bitcoin, so so there's no market price for that. So I don't know if it's it's a good percentage or bad, but yeah, th that's where I was. I think this percentage is gonna rise a little bit with time as the market matures. Uh, right now, there's tons and tons of liquidity basically given away for free by hobbyists, which is a great thing at this point in time but i think this is gonna th that hobbyist movement is gonna professionalize quite a bit i see and just to again contextualize this for listeners what size of node were you running how many bitcoins were in that node in terms of capacity yeah. roughly how many channels were you running at this point at that point yeah yeah when, when i when i closed down uh, last week um the node was at I think right about 100 Bitcoin public capacity, a uh, little less than half uh, was my liquidity. So it was fairly balanced for, for a note that size. It had 1,600 channels roundabout, and it was one of the largest nodes in the network. I'd say one of the busiest, I think it's this, yeah, well, I don't know because because those numbers are not public. So so I guess I, I was like one of the top five in, in, in size and uh, routing volume at that point in time. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so I know you're also commenting on what is the fair way to unwind this thing, right? Because people yeah. had paid up an upfront fee for a certain amount of time uh, and so how do you then unwind it and what decision did you make in the end? Yeah, I've pondered about this quite a bit because because I wanted to do it in the most fair and, and, and correct way possible because as, as soon as you announce something like, okay, I'm going to shut down, um, the, no new channels would be opened, all the channels would probably get closed. And so if, if somebody paid me for my liquidity and I changed my nature <laughs> by saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to close all channels except those that were paid for. <laughs> um, then they, they would have bought something very different than they were getting. So, so for me, it was clear, I can't do that without upsetting my customers and without being not a fair partner. And this is why I decided to basically, and I'm still working on that, um, to basically refund all the channels that were open for payment in the last 90 days before me closing down. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on a way where people just basically authorize uh, the, the refund to wherever, and then they get an LN withdrawal link that they can then use with whatever wallet they, they have to, to get their sets back, basically. Yeah, and I'm, I presume that must be a lot of manual work for yourself also in terms of doing all the uh, refunds for people. Yeah, I, I was going to automate that basically uh, 100%. So I'm going to... Uh, 
create uh, withdrawal links for all the channels that I opened and then provide a, a way on my website where they, they the customers can enter their data and then just get the refund. Yeah. Because otherwise it's, it's, it's about, uh, I think, five to 600 uh, refunds that I have, I would have to process this. It's not feasible to do that manually. I see. And you, over the course of time, there were a lot of people who just opened a channel to you off their yeah. own bat, that they just wanted yes. to be connected with you because you're a well-connected node. So I'm curious as well, you mentioned to some extent this idea being a victim of your own success. Would it have been easier if your node, paradoxically, would it have been easier for you if your node was actually a bit smaller? Yeah, that totally depends on what, what the what the goal is. A smaller node has less funds at risk. So, of course, it would be easier regarding how much you would have to do to secure it because it, it, it becomes a very attractive target if it's such a huge node. If, if it's one of the top five nodes, it's going to be one of the top five targets basically for uh, any kind of uh, attack. And I I knew I was not going to have the time to, to properly monitor that. And I, that's why I just decided to not half-asset basically, just to yeah. shut it down. And yes, yeah. it, it would have been easier if it was just like a smaller Raspberry Blitz node with a couple hundred, maybe uh, two, three hundred channels. Yeah. Yeah, totally fair. And so high level, what were some of the lessons you learned on this journey uh, of doing the zero fee routing project? The the lessons, yeah. Um, It is an incredibly fast growing space. The topology of the networks changes basically daily. Everybody has new ideas, tries out something. I really loved uh, running the node. I'm really going to miss it. And yeah, well, it's, it's, it's still a very, very new technology. Uh, there's stuff breaking <laughs> at times. Uh, <laughs> just yesterday, we had that LND bug again where broke LND the second time in, in, I think in like two weeks or something like that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Plus, plus um, I think a couple of days ago, LND had a bug where funds were, where a change was sent to an address that the node actually did not control. So the funds were basically lost. And this is stuff that, that, that usually doesn't happen, but it still can. And so, so it's, it's, it's not, riskless to to run a routing node and the larger the node is the more risk it's at because because you run into issues that nobody run else runs into because because you're just so big this is what what i had with with uh with cln i think like two or three times where i just ran into such a fringe uh, situation that that nobody accounted for that that my node basically broke <laughs> which which was great for the the developers because they they could fix it but but for me, it's like when my note goes down, I have no idea what to do. And, and this, although the support from the Core Lightning community was beyond excellent, it, it was like uh, my note went down, and half an hour later, I had Rusty checking back on me, asking me if I could do X, Y, or Z to to check if if that fixes the issue. So that, that was that was excellent. Yeah, and I think in some ways, it's some people were willing to, like yourself, who were willing to really put yourself out there and just give this a try. And I think maybe that's why uh, Rusty and the Core Lightning team obviously are uh, excited to see that. I, I can imagine, yeah, um, because yeah. they're seeing somebody put their put their code to test in production out there in the wild. And so I think that's pretty interesting. I think the point you make about it not being riskless is an interesting one because I think a lot of people 
focus on custodial risk, and that's right, custodial risk is a big risk. But I think maybe the point and the experiment that you were running and the project that you were running has shown it's not just about the custodial risk. It's also even in a non-custodial case, right? You're running your own Lightning node. You hold the keys. It's not custodial, but there are still all of these security risks. And so perhaps that's the question for people in their mind as well. Like if they're saying, okay, 2% is the return I'm getting for that risk. Is that a fair return? I mean, how much would it cost to secure in this case? I mean, 100 BTC, what's that? I mean, off the top of my head, what's that like two million in fiat terms? Yeah. You know, how much do, does it cost to secure that? So I think that those are some of the questions. And of course, maybe that will come up over time. And maybe um, if the transaction volume increases on the Lightning Network, then you would get a lot more. There'd be you know a lot more people who want to buy channels from you. Yeah, yeah. For, for me, it's like it's like if if you one of the reasons that that made me uh, kind of reconsider uh, the, the amount of risk I was taking on is it's like if you have like a two percent uh, yield, that means if you get hacked in average at every fifty years, <laughs> that that would mean you break even, and, and that's that's fifty years running a node um, without l- losing it is. Not, I, I wouldn't bet that much money on a fifty-year time frame that that going well. So, so if if you if you run a node and and it breaks down or it it has catastrophic loss or whatever, and and you lose your funds, and it's like, yeah, well, that's that's bound to happen at some point for for somebody. And it, so, so it, yeah, you you probably be better to not run one huge node but do it like Ellen Big does it he he runs like i think 30 to 40 nodes so so if if you have one breakdown or one get hacked you, you have a loss but you, you don't lose all your uh, all, all the capital at once i see but i think there was maybe an iconic aspect of oh there's this one big node and maybe yes. there's a benefit to that but i think to to your point and maybe to steelman what you're saying it's like Maybe the benefit is does not outweigh that level of risk of putting all your coin, yeah. like all the coins, into one big lightning node. So perhaps that's a lesson learned: is to have maybe a network like LN Big style. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it is definitely easier to manage multiple nodes uh, with with little funds. But it was a great marketing aspect of it being such a huge centralizing force in the network. Basically, everybody that 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 knew about my node wanted to have a channel with it just because it, it it made payments so so cheap and and easy i see and so in some sense maybe right now it's still hobbyist days and they are effectively subsidizing because they're taking a risk right because they want to be the pioneers yeah. they're kind of they're out there trying to take that risk and there are people who are effectively underpricing the liquidity that they place into their lightning nodes or in other cases, maybe they just have a lightning node more because they want to be able to do personal payments, right? I think I'm probably more in that category. I'm not trying to be a routing person. I just I just have it just to be able to make and take payments. I'm not trying to be a routing guy uh, per se, um, but I'm curious your thought there. Do you believe the hobbyists are undervaluing their liquidity? Uh, hobbyists are always undervaluating whatever they put into their hobby. So they, they undervaluate their time. They undervaluate the, the, the funds. Uh, yes, th- that's the definition of being a hobbyist, basically. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they are, which is not a bad thing. Um, it's just as the network matures, this is going to 
I think this is going to probably change a bit. Yeah, of course, because I think ultimately people will have alternative uses for their capital. Um, now, of course, or they, they may decide that the return is not worth the risk in terms of exactly. wallet risk and so on, that they may decide, look, I'm better off keeping my stuff in a multi-sig, you know, secured and therefore less risk of losing my, you know, stuff in some kind of hack or a bug or, you know, something that yeah. happens. So in terms of the key difficulties that you faced along the journey, if you if you had to pick some of the high risks, what were some of those big risks? Oh, those were basically all hypothetical. So, so you basically... You have to make sure that the software that the node is running on is up to date. So there's no security leaks. You, you have to try to have as little software as possible running on the on the machine. I did encrypt the the, the whole uh, drive that the node was running on. I encrypted that. I ran it from a from a data center. So so it was a remote machine. And you have to account for rogue employees trying to break into the machine, getting the funds out. So, so, so there's like like a tons and tons of attack vectors that you have, especially if you're not self-hosting at home, which for such a huge uh, node you you basically can't do. And so, so those were the issues I had at one time when I ran it from home. I had hardware issues. Uh, my my uh, my disk broke down, and I almost lost access to that. That was uh, kind of touch and go there for a bit, and yeah, that was like like non spec though. So yeah. So out of curiosity, then for the listeners running who who want to run stuff at home, what are the main hurdles there? Like, is it that you? need this really beefy box to run it from home? Is it that your internet connection needs to be really, really strong? Or is it actually maybe a physical security risk that you don't want to, let's say, dox your, you're worried about doxing your home address. And obviously, if the machine is hot and there's a lot of coins on there, is, is it that risk? Yeah, well, if, if, if you're just running a personal node, which I really encourage everybody to do to their, to their personal lightning payments non-custodially, th- there's very little that you need to think about because if, if you put like i don't know like a couple hundred bucks worth of, of bitcoin on it to to pay via lightning that that's all easy good to go you can use a raspberry blitz for that or something like that if you want to run a larger routing node like like tens to hundreds of bitcoins in, in, in capacity um things get very very different because you have to account for the the, the public capacity is known and your IP address is known if you if you're not using it if you're not a Tor only node, uh, and with the IP address comes the location. If you run it from home, your your home location, at least for your uh, internet service provider, will be known, uh, and and then things get risky, especially if you try to not dox your your, your stack, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I see. Uh, and so what about uh, in terms of the hardware required to run a larger node? What kind of hardware requirements did you face there? Not, not really. Hardware requirements, at least with, with Core Lightning, uh, was not an issue at all. I, I could have done, I, I had a much beefier machine than I needed. I could have done it with like 16 gigs of RAM about 100 200 gigs of uh disk space besides the the the, the blockchain storage for bitcoin d but th- th- that's and that was one of the largest nodes in the network so so you can do it with fairly fairly weak machine actually or old machine basically 
Right, that makes it interesting then because, uh, yeah, there's a possibility there um, for other people who want to do this. I think maybe if then is it fair to understand or at least as I read you then, you're saying the biggest security risk was really more just like the hot wallet risk. That was really the biggest risk. Yes, yes, yes. The, the hot wallet risk, the, the, the factor that your funds are always on the move. You, you, you have channels open to you. They, they close. Those uh, close f- funds that you get from the closing go to a wallet, this, that, and the other. And, and you have constantly have, have, have your funds moving. And uh, hot funds are always at risk. There's, there's tons and tons of, tons of stuff that can go wrong. Uh, with hot funds, even despite um, uh, getting getting them stolen, you, you might lose access to your disk for whatever reason. You, you, yeah, there, there's stuff that can go wrong. <laughs> yeah, and were you paranoid or concerned about any of those other attacks that would periodically get disclosed on? some of these academic papers. So for example, there was flood and loot or there were some of these other ideas around channel jamming. Were you concerned about any of those with your big zero fee routing node? Moderately concerned. It's not like I went out of my way to to harden against those kinds of attacks, which probably if, if you, the, the larger you get, the more you have to pay attention to these kind of attacks because you're probably one of the targets that that doesn't happen to you if you run like a very very small lightning routing node or a medium sized routing node. So so yeah, it it is an issue, but I didn't lose any sleep over it. I see. Yeah, and uh, so I, I know there were obviously in that time that you were running the node, you had you had your own journey as we spoke about on the on the earlier show. You started with LND, then you switched to Core Lightning. Did any of the vulnerabilities shake your faith in the Lightning Network? Like, so for example, this recent one where Barack basically caused some difficulties for the LND <laughs> <laughs> node runners out there and uh, the Lightning Labs team. Did any of that shake your confidence in the Lightning Network uh, going forward? No, not at all. Um, it's just for for my risk appetite plus my time. It, it's just not not right right now. I, I do plan on, 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 on coming back eventually if there's still demand for what I did, which I think right now there there is, but probably in a more professional setting. I see. Yeah. And so in terms of the time commitment, can you elaborate a bit there? Like how much time did it really take to go and do all these things around maintenance, securing your node and all of those aspects? It's fuzzy to describe because because there's so much to it. It's it's like talking to others on Twitter, uh, chatting on Telegram. Then there's uh, the actual maintenance of the node itself. Then there's uh, I had an API, I had a website. Uh, so there's tons of stuff. Then then you read about channel jamming or, or uh, that that jam and loot uh, attack that was published i think last week or something like that and then you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper and, and see is that an actual risk that i'm running right now and, and how, how big is it and, and this, this stuff takes time so there's I, I couldn't tell you i spent like x amount of hours per day because it's, it's just like an hour here and half an hour there. Then you hear about hosted channel from Fiat Jeff and you get excited about that and lose a couple of hours there. So, <laughs> yeah, it's if if you if you're really interested in it and 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 try to to get a feel of the whole field, 
it is pretty time consuming. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. Um, it's it's early days still, and there's all these new things still being found. But yeah, I think fundamentally for the average person who just wants to, like if they want to run a lightning node, you know, they, they could do it with a little bit of research and a bit of time and work. Um, it's perhaps not as easy as just running a Bitcoin node, right? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair to say. If, if you don't plan on running a 100 bit, Bitcoin capacity node with thousands of channels, it, it, it basically takes no time. So to just start it up, let it run, be done. The, the only thing that makes it time intensive is the, is the whole business around, around of it. Yeah, so you had to run a website where people could buy channels from you. Uh, and I, I presume you also had to spend at least some time doing customer support, customer service, or at least if something went wrong, you had to get back to them and manage that part of it. So as a as a one-man band or one-man business, um, then you have to also think about the time cost and effort that you're putting into it for that, for that 2% in this example. Um, it, it's quite possible that in the future that that would rise, that if you were to do this kind of thing, uh, let's say there's a lot more people using the Lightning Network. Maybe there's a lot more demand. Maybe that goes up to 5% or 10%. And uh, potentially, let's say there's a Bitcoin bull cycle uh, and you know Bitcoin does a 10x or a 20x. Now at that point, now it starts to maybe be worth your while again, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's basically a, a risk reward uh, plus uh, how you value your own time. So, so if I reflect back on it, it, it is... Even I did it as a hobbyist project because the time I invested in it. Even if I don't account for my my opportunity cost with the capital, it was not a nice hourly wage, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, but that's you know that's like we said that's as it is you know today in let's call it yeah. over twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two when you ran this thing. Imagine uh, in a few years' time, let's say there's been a, another cycle. Bitcoin is like 10x, and you know at that point it might really be worth your while. So um, it, it, it might, yeah. But we don't know, of course, we don't know. It yeah. completely depends on, on on how the network itself develops and where we we land, basically regarding the 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 interest uh, that that you can basically generate with running a node. Yeah, yeah, and so. I guess one other aspect, how much did the node require constant monitoring, right? It's like, um, as I understand, some people have a job where they're on call, right? So the idea is they're not having to do this thing right now, but they have to basically have the phone by their side and be ready for the call to say, hey, come in, we need you to fix this. Did it feel a bit like that when you were running zero fee routing node? Very, very little because because uh, if, if the node goes down, I, I, did, I didn't have like a whole battery of stuff that, that informed me about that. But I, I usually got telegram messages basically right away uh, anyways. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it's kind of like you're on call. But s since everybody knew this, this is like a hobbyist project, nobody was mad at me if the node was down for like a couple hours or so, which, which happened, I think just once so yeah but but it, it's kind of like you know that you have the maintenance and and if it goes down you have to bring it back up because otherwise you might uh, get your funds stolen by somebody publishing old channel states and whatever and, and so it, it is you, you can't just go away for two weeks and not look at it back to the show in a moment unchained capital are making it easy for you to improve your self-custody with multi-signature vaults as you may be aware in the space there are often hacks or situations where an exchange or a custodian does not let you 
use your own coins or spend those coins that you thought were yours. This is why it's important to self-custody and with Unchained Capital, they are helping you remove single points of failure in your setup. They can create a vault where you alone can spend the coins without any interference from anybody else. With Unchained Capital, they've got a concierge onboarding program where they can ship you the hardware devices if you need. They can do a call with you, teach you how to create the vault and withdraw from your exchange or even out of your single signature hardware wallet into your own vault. So if you're interested in this, go find out more over at unchained.com. It is available for personal or business accounts also. So that's unchained.com slash concierge. Use code Levera for a discount. Are you still using a plain old block explorer? Mempool.space is the next generation explorer that shows you the fully fledged multi-layer ecosystem. Now, of course, as for this episode, we're chatting with zero fee routing. A great feature here is the Lightning Explorer available on mempool.space. So you can go there, you can see which are the top nodes by connectivity. You can see things like the PPM, the parts per million fee that they are charging on their various channels. You can see which channels they have open. You can see even the on-chain UTXO that relates to that Lightning channel open or close. So mempool.space is a fantastic explorer. Now you can host it yourself, you can run it on your own. And of course, it is available on some of the full node distributions like Umbral, Raspberry Blitz, and so on. And now if you are with an enterprise, mempool.space offers customized mempool instances with your company's branding. So go and learn more over at mempool.space slash enterprise. And finally, when it comes to Bitcoin hardware and accessories in the space, coinkite.com is the site to go and check out. They have a range of products. Most notably is the Cold Card MK4, the latest version, the latest edition. It has two secure elements. It has NFC support. So that's an interesting new way of transacting with Bitcoin that we can use for perhaps our less secure setups or maybe one of your keys in a multi-signature using NFC. They also have more RAM and more CPU built into the MK4. This is a really reliable performer and I particularly like that you can set up and initialize your Bitcoin wallet without ever plugging it into a computer. You can literally plug your cold card into the wall or use the cold power to power your cold card and set it up that way. They also have cheaper devices such as the tap signer and the sats card. You can find out more over at coinkite.com. Get a discount on your cold card with the code Levera. And now back to the show with zero fee routing. Yeah, yeah, understood. And so going forward in terms of making it more accessible or more secure for node runners in the future, are there any features that you would like to see come in into the main Lightning node implementations, whether that's Core Lightning or LND or um, Rust Lightning or Eclair? You know, is there, are there any particular features that you think need to be fixed up or implemented? No, I think, I think actually, I think the, the feature set that, that is already there is, is pretty powerful and pretty, pretty good, actually. Um, there, there's been tons and tons of development uh, for core lightning with uh, uh, commando and runes where you can basically give very, very, very precise access to just certain functions and also those certain functions just with different certain values that you can basically tell uh, the, the here's a key that only can open channels uh, with sizes from 1 million Satoshi to 5 million Satoshi. And the key can only do this, that it can do nothing else. So th th that's pretty, pretty darn good. The, and, and again, if, if you just run your own personal note for your personal stuff, it's basically absolutely a no brainer to do. But as, as, as soon as you start 
getting big and and that that's where where I was and I didn't intend to to become number five regarding with regards to the amount of channels it just happened and you you can't you can't stop the growth basically I, I couldn't stop the growth there was no way to discourage uh, others opening channels to me basically uh, <laughs> despite uh, charging fees or something but i'm curious then actually let's say you got to a point where you know you were above a certain size is it possible that you could just restrict new channels unless they were a paying customer yeah yeah of course that, that would have been one option to basically disallow uh incoming channels uh, that that were basically unsolicited incoming channels yeah that, that would have been one option stuff that i thought about uh, when uh, thinking about my options regarding the the node and its future. Yeah. And so another angle that we can approach this from is this idea of the market for an LSP, Lightning Service Provider, because users in the Lightning Network, maybe if you're newer, you won't really understand this. And maybe you just use an app like, say, Breeze as an example. And Breeze in the background will connect, you know, to LSPs. Or um, I know uh, John Carvalho's new wallet, the BitKit wallet has this idea of block tank which is the lsp in the background so in one sense you are operating as sort of like an lsp uh so i'm curious your thoughts on where the whole lsp market goes like will it be a merchant facing function or will it be let's say uh, some lsps are serving the end customer the end user let's say just the average guy who wants to pay or receive i think it's going to be both. I think LSP is where it's at right now with, with Lightning. So this is where tons of innovation happens right now. There is, is a bunch of LSPs popping up right now. Um, and I think there, there will be LSPs that serve huge um, retailers or merchants. And there will be LSPs like, like Breeze as an LSP, basically, that serves uh, the users of the Breeze wallet by opening channels on demand instantly to for them, so uh, I think that's that's it's going to be a huge market. Um, where it's going to end up, I have no idea. We just have to wait and see. Right. Yeah. And I think you're right to point out that there are different elements and different components involved here. So another example could even be some LSPs who act as a swap provider. So for example, Bolts dot exchange. They help people who are, say, swapping off and on-chain. So as an example, you can pay them on Lightning and then they can pay you out on-chain. Or the, I think they can also do vice versa as well. And I'm sure you understand this, Zero, but just, just for listeners. So that's perhaps another angle that um, LSPs could go where you have to sort of manage an on-chain and an off-chain balance. Um, and so... I'm curious from your perspective, you, you didn't really have to deal with much of that, right? Because your service was just more like, I'm selling you a channel, you just pay me up front. So it's a very, I guess, simple model in that way. Yeah, exactly. For, for me, it was, uh, I did not uh, swap or loop out actively um, to, to get new liquidity. But for me, it was basically like, I got incoming channels from others. When they got closed, I received funds back on chain that I could then reuse to open channels to again so for me the the whole on-chain off-chain uh, thing was basically channels being open to me and getting closed again uh, organically so I, I usually didn't force that but um for the the management of on-chain versus off-chain funds is gonna be a huge deal so you, although off-chain funds have more utility because you you can pay more easily with them they come basically at um a discount so you you have to pay 
if you want to have on-chain funds. Basically, this is the loop charges, I think, right about 1% or, uh, sorry, 0.1% to switch your off-chain funds to on-chain funds. Others like, like DZ do that with a, I think, fairly similar rate. And, and this is, uh, this is going to be hugely interesting uh, thing regarding switching from off-chain to on-chain and, and who's getting paid for what and what has more price. Right now, off-chain funds uh, have a lower price than on-chain funds, basically. So you have to pay if you want to move your off-chain funds to on-chain. I see, yeah. So in other words, if you have month funds, quote-unquote, in Lightning, i.e. your UTXO has been put into a Lightning channel, then for you to get them back out to an on-chain balance, let's say, uh, you have to pay right now. And I mean, generally speaking, you have to pay if you're swapping either way, but it's kind of, it depends what kind of service and how you're doing it. Um, and I think it's also, there's all, there's just so many different variables all all in the air at, at once, right? Because it matters how many people are using Lightning. It matters how many merchants are accepting Lightning. So for example, we saw this recent news, Pick and Pay is doing Lightning payments. And they're apparently like a, a big supermarket chain in South Africa with, I think, they're starting with 39 stores, but they're going up to 500 stores uh, eventually. And so that's going to be cool to see. And if lots of people are paying with Lightning, especially non-custodially there, then you know maybe that's, that's going to start driving a lot of fees and then we'll start seeing this behavior. Um, and, and then the other big factor, of course, the other big elephant in the room is the quote-unquote fee market or the block space market, right? Because in recent times, one sat per byte, would pretty much clear eventually. What happens if we do get a sustained fee market or a block space market, then maybe that makes the whole lightning routing node operator or your business model even more feasible or more needed? Yes, exactly. So so right now with the extremely low on-chain fees, especially if you if you if you don't mind waiting overnight, you could basically always get one set per vbyte transactions through so you basically for uh, like like 10 15 cent you, you could get your transaction through so for any payment larger than i don't know like a couple hundred dollars on chain would be the cheaper way to do it unless you needed instant confirmation so, so right. the, what Lightning brings is instant transaction finality, which is great because that has not existed before Lightning. That, that, that neither in, in in Bitcoin nor in the uh, uh, traditional financial world. So, so this is crazy innovative. So, um, yeah. Um, but but if you if you don't mind waiting, doing on chain is the option right now as long as we have that low fee environment if we pay ten dollars per transaction on chain things change but yeah maybe we, we'll get there in, in the next couple of years but right now it doesn't look like it right uh, i think it depends how many people are pulling out their coins out of the exchanges and operating in a non-custodial environment of course we encourage this uh, i know that the reality today is that there are a lot of custodial users who are let's say just as an example, using Binance and just using Binance, and they think that's Bitcoin, right? Because, you know what I mean? These aren't people who necessarily, they don't know who you are. They don't know who, you know, Jimmy Song or Jameson Lop or any of these people. They just they just use some custodial exchange because that's from their perspective, that's what they want um, because they don't know any better, right? Or they maybe they don't care but about the kind of non-custodial ethos. Now, of course, we're trying to encourage that. We want more people to do that. 
but we also know that that will drive a lot of fee pressure as well. And, you know, arguably that could be seen as a good thing in the long term. Uh, so, or ne- a necessary thing in the long term. Necessary at some point. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it's interesting to see where it goes. Um, and then at that time, if let's say fee, the fee market or block space market more precisely goes up, then you really do start to need these swap providers, whether they are on and off chain swap providers, because there might be people who want to operate more natively in a lightning environment, in a lightning context, but there may be times where they need to periodically, let's say, flush some of their lightning balance out into an on-chain, potentially into an on-chain hot wallet, or maybe even the on-chain, yeah. the multi-sig wallet, because that's that's going into your savings. So it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic play out. Plus the, the, the increase in, in, in on-chain fees would also change the whole a dynamic for the Lightning Network, the way it's run now, because right now it's it's cheap to open channels and be wrong about them. So you basically you open a channel to another node just on a whim, see if it routes anything, and if it doesn't, you just close it because well, that's thirty cents down the drain lesson learned. But it, it, it costs like like twenty bucks to open and close a channel. Uh, you think twice before opening channels, and also for um, for, for LSPs like 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 I was, if you open channels and it, it, it the amount of capital you in, invest is, is like like thirty cents, and if, if things go really wrong, I had I had uh, one channel close first close that had thirty pending HDLCs, basically my my maximum that I allowed, um, and they closed at a at an incredibly high uh, fee environment because I don't know at the time they those transactions happened each of them was carrying like a 3,000 uh, sat fee with it. So I, I had like 90,000 Satoshis in, in fees for that first close. So that, that became extremely expensive for me. And because I, I opened that channel for way less than, than it the, the first close. Uh, yeah, so that's an example where you had an unprofitable channel, and that's which is uh, quite a shame. Yes, exactly. Even though I sold it. <laughs> Yeah, that's really weird to think about. But I mean, yeah, totally it makes sense, right? And so, yeah, 90,000 Satoshis are gone, unfortunately, because of that HTLC um, aspect. So I'm curious then as well, like in terms of Lightning wallets and things like that at the consumer grade, like if people are just talking about the typical wallets that people will use that we like that we, we, we might tell people to use as a non-custodial first-time user. So you, people say, okay, go to Moon Wallet or or Breeze, or Phoenix, as an example. But in the case of, say, Moon Wallet, it's kind of like doing a lot of on-chain transactions because they use a lot of these swaps. And so in a high-fee environment, the Moon Wallet ends up costing that user a lot because it's not Lightning Native per se. Whereas, let's say, Phoenix and Breeze, they are Lightning Native, so they can sort of handle the Lightning aspect more easily of just staying in Lightning and not having to go on-chain all the time. But perhaps the trade-off then is you're paying for you know, channels and liquidity um, as part of the cost. Um, whereas I guess Moon is kind of wearing some of that cost for the users and, uh, you know, that, um, and I, yeah, so that kind of maybe raises questions about the sustainability of that model. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But especially with regards to Moon, I never fully understood how it worked. And also they are not very transparent about how it works. I think it works non-custodially. And the way I understood it works is they take on a bunch of risk. 
So the, the, the end user does not take on risk basically at all, but they take on a bunch of risk. So um, especially in a high fee environment, I think they would have quite the trouble being profitable with, with what they do. So um, same, same for, for others like Breeze but they, and, and um, uh, Phoenix, but they could simply just raise the fees for the channels that they open to you. So they, they could kind of mitigate for, for high fees. On yeah, the I see. And as I understand, I believe Moon are looking to eventually go more Lightning native too, but they're just not at that level yet. Or there's some more engineering work before they can get to that. But it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with all of that. Also, splicing. I think that's an interesting idea as well. So splicing is this idea that we can resize our channels without closing them. Do you think splicing changes that uh, dynamic around routing? Or how would you foresee that um, changing routing? I don't think it's going to change too much. I think it, it, it saves like uh, at one transaction on chain. So, so it, it reduces the cost a little bit. But especially since since uh, now Core Lightning two supports multiple channels per peer for a while now, it, it is a nice to have. I don't think it's mission critical right now. Maybe I'm I'm underestimating the the upside of it. Especially in a high fee environment, it might be quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what about uh, collaborative channel opens? I'm curious your thoughts on that and how that might influence the whole market for routing. Do you have any thoughts on this idea? Yeah, I, I think uh, that is one of the huge, huge, huge uh, upsides of, of Lightning that you could, you could, in theory, open uh, collaboratively open a channel where it's balanced from the get-go. Uh, Core Lightning supports this uh, from uh, Lisa Naigut Nifty Nice dual funded channels, liquidity ads. I still run uh, crowdfunding for getting that implemented for LD as well, because I think it's it, it could be hugely beneficial to the whole network if if everybody could open and advertise their own liquidity in the in the market. It it would be very much a decentralizing force in the market if, if that gets more widely used. I hope it's getting built. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. <laughs> yeah, so there's some of these ideas that I have noticed coming out of the core lightning camp. So things like liquidity ads and the collaborative channel opens idea. And uh, also even some of the Blockstream guys like Warren Togami talking about peer swap. I think that's a really cool idea. And maybe that's early, but um, I I'd love to see that. I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on um, Peer swap. Actually, could you just give a, a high level? What is peer swap, and any thoughts on what that does? Peer swap basically allows uh, direct peers to move funds from off chain to on chain, and I think the other way around. So you basically could request a peer where the liquidity in the channel is all uh, on your side. You could send funds off chain over to them, um, non custodially. So you basically you don't risk the funds. You don't have to trust them. You send funds over to them and they swap it out on chain uh, with you and you get the funds returned on chain. That, that The upside of that is you um, don't have to do channel rebalancing and you can get the channel balanced or balanced, more balanced uh, just by directly swapping with, with your peer. Um, the reason why I did not run this is um, because... What I did is I basically sold my on-chain liquidity. And if I offer 
free, <laughs> in a way, free peer swaps. I, I would basically give away for free what I was otherwise selling. Um, that, that's why Fair peer point. swapping was not an option for me. Otherwise, I would have done it. Right. Because it's, uh, the, the concept is great. Yeah. And so let's put it this way. On, if you were running your personal Lightning node with Core Lightning, you would enable peer swap and you would use it. But if you're running it as a business, then maybe not because that's what you're selling. Yeah, it depends on the what, what kind of business you are. But if, if you're in the business of selling on-chain liquidity, you can't give it away for free because otherwise people <laughs> will just not pay you for what they can get for free. Yeah, yeah that's totally fair. Um, but it does make a lot of interesting possibilities even to potentially make Lightning more private also. Because in this way, people can start managing some of their liquidity without using a centralized provider of liquidity that if they start doing peer swapping with their peers, then it might be a way for people to you know, loop out as an example without going through some centralized entity or some known entity just through a peer, right? Yeah. Plus, it, it's going to be a lot cheaper too because um, for if you, if you loop out or if you use um, DZ's swap service or something like that, you not only pay the service that is switching your funds from off-chain to on-chain, you also have to pay to get your funds to them. And especially with loop, that's usually that alone is usually 0.1% of the amount you're looping out. So, so if, if you could just peer swap it, even if the peer took a fee for it, it could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to Lightning Network, are there any other things that you're excited about? What are you, well, what are you most excited about um, coming in the Lightning Network? I'm ex I, I am uh, actually really excited about um, hosted channels, even though they are custodial. Um, the reason why I am is because they solve an issue that we have when onboarding new users. Breeze solved this very, very elegantly and, and, and great because they open a channel to you, a non-custodial channel to you on the fly when receiving a payment and basically take a little bit of that payment to pay for the, the channel you're receiving. Um, but the, the issue we have is if you have a new, uh, someone you want to onboard onto Lightning, you can't do that in a non-custodial fashion easily because you would have to open the channel to them. Then you would have to wait for X confirmations on chain, which usually is three, takes about half an hour. And so if, if you're sitting at a table with somebody getting them all excited about lightning and then you tell them, okay, I'm going to open the channel to you. Let's wait for an hour so the channel is open. That kind of like takes away the, the thunder quite a bit. And with hosted channels, you could receive that payment instantly. Yes, it's not it's it's custodially, so you basically don't have the funds, but you're owed the funds. But you could then use those funds to purchase a channel afterwards, like a non-custodial channel, and move the funds over there. So you could basically onboard users instantly, and then tell them that those are not really your funds. You just owed these funds by some other entity. Get a non-custodial channel at some point, but for the initial, I'm going to show you how it works. Um, it's actually pretty gay. I see. And so I've heard people explain it almost like a virtual channel at the start. And then later, once you turn it into a real channel, then there's non-custodial, then it's non-custodial, right? Exactly. It's it's basically, it is a virtual channel. It's it's like the, the, the host that hosts your channel accepts the payment for you, 
and sends the payment out for you. So you, you basically, you need their collaboration. If they shut you down, you can prove cryptographically that they cheated you out of those funds. But um, other than that, you would have no, <laughs> if it's an unknown entity, you all you have is like that. That prove that that they cheated you. <laughs> well, it's it's better than nothing. If, if because if Wallet of Satoshi uh, for some reason decided to shut some some wallets down, you would have no proof besides a screenshot. With with hosted channels, you you can cryptographically prove that the node with PubKeyX cheated you out of funds. So yeah, it's it's a little bit. Yeah, it's at least something. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's at okay. least something. <laughs> it, it keeps the peer honest because yeah. um especially if it's for for pocket change amounts of money like like below hundred dollars and they run a huge service like like if if bitphoenix decided to do that for example mm. they basically are custodian anyways so they they could do hosted channels easily from a regulatory standpoint they have they would have no interest in cheating people out of their money because that would just kill their reputation of course if, if you have a unknown entity in the lightning network that offers hosted channels you th- should very much think whether you want to have them owe you money if you don't even know who they are and where <laughs> they are at yeah of course yeah so maybe it's a tool there to leverage if the entity or individual already has an existing reputation that they don't want to lose and therefore there's at least some level of you know reputational loss if they were to try to rug everyone i yeah. consider doing that but the regulatory uh, situation is that you you become a custodian and being a custodian is generally uh, not a good idea for a single person if, if other people owe you money so i decided against it although i i really like the idea and i have a, a node running with hosted channels for myself so just personally use hosted channels yeah, that's interesting to see. Um, one other idea I was curious to get your thoughts on is this whole hardware signer, right? So you might have heard, I'm sure you've seen this idea of validating lightning signer or hardware signing this idea that it's a, a piece of hardware that maybe has certain policy rules incorporated into it to give you something like more like a, let's call it a warm wallet instead of a hot wallet. What are your thoughts on that? And would that be potentially useful for you the next time you start this zero fee routing up? It is. It is. This, the, 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 the Validating Lightning Signer project is like the most interesting project right now in the space because it would allow to uh, define rules so that the Lightning Signer just signs certain types of transactions like, like routing forwards, for example, or channel openings. And you could basically configure it to just do that and nothing else. And you could just leave it running. And basically your funds would not be, uh, not at risk is such an <laughs> absolute term, but, but they would be way less at risk if uh, if you run it with a validating Lightning Signer. You wouldn't, you, you could just run the Lightning Signer from your home or one secure location and have the node sit somewhere else. Uh, so that it's an extremely interesting uh, project. I'm looking very much forward to it becoming reality and uh, with it, uh, the green line, the green light wallet from, from uh, Blockstream. Yeah, and so that could become a useful tool or even an essential tool for anybody who's running essential. a professional level lightning routing node, right? So if you're running something with tens, hundreds of coins on there, then um, yeah, maybe it really starts to become 
very much worth your while to look into the whole validating lightning signer project. Um, I, I actually will be chatting with those guys, but uh, when they're ready um, to go on the show. So that'll be an interesting one. Yeah. So I guess, is there anything else in the Lightning Network that you're looking forward to? Or how about just in a, from a Bitcoin perspective? Is there anything that you're looking forward to or anything uh, on your mind from a Bitcoin perspective? Oh, I'm, I'm just still generally excited about how the network, Bitcoin as well as Lightning, have developed in the last couple of years. I'm, 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 I'm very, very bullish on the technology. I don't expect it to go away. I expect... Um, Lightning to become the de facto standard for a Bitcoin transaction over time because it's just so instant and, and generally great. There's tons and tons of improvement uh, in the pipeline there. I can't wait to see it all. I will definitely still be in the space. I will um, monitor, especially for validating Lightning Sign, especially for that tool and hopefully make a return sometime next year or in 2024 maybe let's see <laughs> fantastic well uh yeah listeners make sure you check out zero fee routing you can find him on twitter i'll link uh everything in the show notes and uh zero thanks for joining me again thank you for having me <laughs> get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash four three zero thanks for listening and i'll see you in the citadels